The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning. I want to welcome you this morning to Berean Bible Church. I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that I've never spoken on before. And that is imprecatory prayer. Now, how many of you know what I'm talking about when I say imprecatory prayer? You know what those are? A couple of you. All right. Let me start by giving you a definition then. To imprecate means to invoke evil upon or curse one's enemies. An imprecatory prayer is a calling down of judgment or curse against one's enemy and those who are enemies of God. Now we see these prayers of curses or judgment all throughout Scripture. The ones found in the Psalms are probably the most famous. And I want to look at a few that are in the Psalms this morning. But before we even do that, before we look at these Psalms, let me just say that people will respond differently to these prayers and to this message. All right? Some of us are all about justice and seeing justice done, and some of us are more on the mercy side. You know what I mean, right? We're different. We're different people. We respond differently. So some will react differently to these prayers. Some of you are going to love this idea and say, yeah, let's go. I'm going to start praying right now. And other you are going to say, no, that's not right. I'm all about judgment. Unless it comes to me, of course. <laughs> I want mercy. But, you know, towards others, I'm judgment. And then you've got people like Glenn who would be all about mercy and grace, you know, and Glenn might have trouble with this message. By the way, it's Glenn's 80th birthday today. Happy birthday, Glenn. 80 years old. Happy birthday. So what I asked this morning is that you just be a Berean. Hear what I had to say. Search it out. See if the Scripture bears witness to what I'm talking about. All right, let's look at some of the imprecatory prayers. These psalms that we're looking at are all psalms of David this morning. In Psalm 7, verse 6, he says, Oh, arise, O Yahweh, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. So he's asking God, God, come against my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Psalm 7, verse 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end. Now, I don't know that that's just saying, make them be nice. Make them come to an end, alright? Put an end to these evil people. Psalm 35, 8. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it. To his destruction. Psalm uh, 58, 6-10 says, O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions. O Yahweh. Now he's not talking about literal lions here, okay? Talking about people. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Is that a vivid picture or what? 
You ever poured salt on a slug? It just turns into mush and just, you know, let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Psalm 59, verse 5. You, Yahweh God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. 59, 12 and 13. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more. That they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Psalm 69, 22-28. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation on them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tent. So again, he's calling God, pour out your indignation on them. Your anger, let it overtake them. For they persecuted Him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those who have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Again, add to them punishment upon punishment. Just calling out for the judgment of God on His enemies. Psalm 109. 7-15. through When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. People, this is a prayer I pray often for our elected officials. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity the fatherless children. May his prosperity be cut off by his name, be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before Yahweh, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before Yahweh continually that He may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Okay, I think you get the point, right? This is David praying against his enemies, praying against God's enemies. David often prays for the destruction of his enemies. Now I want you to remember something about David. He's a man after God's own heart, right? Okay, just keep that in mind. But it's not just David. We see, we see Moses ask Yahweh to scatter his enemies and make them flee in fear. In Numbers 10.35, it says, And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Yahweh, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. We see that Deborah prays that all of God's enemies 
would be destroyed in Judges 5.31. So may all your enemies perish, O Yahweh, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land had rest for 40 years. Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet because he cared so much about his people, he prays for God to destroy those who are evil, and he says, with double destruction, let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let not, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Now, curse pronouncements like these are interspersed throughout the biblical canon. Moving into the New Testament, we see Yeshua calling down woes of judgment on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees! Woe unto you, hypocrites! On and on, woe, 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 pronouncing judgment. In John 15, 25, Yeshua quotes from the imprecatory Psalm 35, 19, and He quotes from 69, 4. Paul also quoted imprecatory prayers in Romans 11, 9, and 10, which is a quote of Psalm 69, 22-23. Paul used imprecations against those who did not love God one example is found in 1 Corinthians 16.22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. The Greek word translated accursed here is anathema. Paul uses the same word in Galatians 1 when he pronounces anathema on anyone who preaches another gospel. Galatians 1.8-9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to the one we preached you, let him be accursed. Again, that's anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to the one you receive, let him be anathema. Now the word anathema originally meant something dedicated, but as it was used day by day, it began to be used only of that which was dedicated to evil, and then it came to be used to indicate the end of things that were dedicated to evil, that is, destruction. Even the martyrs in heaven petitioned God to avenge their blood in Revelation 6.10. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, I'm sure by now some of you are probably thinking, how can it be right to wish harm, to wish destruction on another human? I mean, it seems malicious. It seems vengeful instead of loving and kind. And aren't we supposed to be loving and kind? I mean, what about what the Lord said in Matthew 5.44 where He told us to love our enemies? But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Yes, as believers, we are called to love our enemies. But loving our enemies shouldn't come at the expense of of foregoing appeals for divine justice. Praying for God to punish the wicked is neither unloving nor vindictive. It's an expression of faith in Him who judges justly. God is a just God. I don't think it's wrong to pray for justice. Look at 1 Peter 2.23. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges Justly. Yes, we are to love our enemies, but we must distinguish between cursing our personal enemies, ourselves, 
and calling upon God to curse His enemies. Imprecatory prayers are not driven by vengeance, but by a deep desire for justice. And imprecatory prayers are aimed at great injustices, not small trivial matters. David and others did not ask God to destroy people because they were annoying, because they were inconvenient, because they were hurtful. I'm not saying that we should pray imprecatory prayers when someone cuts us off in traffic. Okay? I'm not asking that we curse people for that. I'm not asking that we curse people who attack us on social media and pray, God, bring down judgment on them. Or people who have a different eschatology than we do. I'm talking about praying against the enemies of justice and righteousness. I'm talking about praying judgment down on evil people. So when we ask, should we, 21st century believers, pray this way? I would respond, yes. I believe we should. We should pray this type of prayer, I think, for two reasons. First of all, we should pray this way because... Prayer is effective. If prayer is not effective, then there's no point in praying at all about anything, anytime. And I think too often we just get in the idea of God's sovereign is going to do what He's going to do, so we don't really need to pray. But prayer is effective, and we need to understand that, and we need to hang on to that. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God's saying, call when you need me. I'll help you out. Psalm 91.15 When He calls to me, I'll answer Him. I'll be with Him in trouble. I will rescue and honor Him. Jeremiah 29.12 Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. God promises over and over in Scripture to answer our prayers. Hezekiah was a man of prayer. And we see prayers effective in his life. Hezekiah was the king of Judah. Just before Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken into Assyrian captivity in 700 B.C., he prayed for forgiveness of his people. And the Scripture says this in 2 Chronicles 30.20, And Yahweh heard Hezekiah and healed the people. That doesn't just say, could just say God healed the people. He says he heard Hezekiah. He responded to his prayer. When Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against Jerusalem, Hezekiah turned to God in prayer. Good thing to do, right? We're in trouble. Let's go to God in prayer. 2 Chronicles 32.22 So Yahweh saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided for them on every side. So believers, I want you to understand that prayer is effective. Hezekiah prays to God and God delivers him. Now Hezekiah's prayers were also effective in his personal life. 2 Kings 20 verse 1 In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, set your house in order, you shall die, you shall not recover. Okay, what would you do here? Cry? Cry? Okay, yeah. Good, Good response, cry, right? I mean, the prophet has told you, God says... Set your house in order. You're going to die. You're not going to recover. So what do you do? What did Hezekiah do? Did he say, well, God is sovereign. He said, I'm going to die, so I'm just going to sit here and wait for death. No. He did the same thing you would do. 
He cried out to God in prayer. He wept bitterly before Yahweh. And Yahweh responded to his prayer. And in 2 Kings 20, verse 5, it says, Turn back, he said to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says Yahweh, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of Yahweh. Over and over in the life of Hezekiah, he prayed and God answered prayer. And what we see in the life of Hezekiah is that prayer is effective. We should learn to pray, people. And we've talked over and over about this, but prayerlessness is a declaration of self-sufficiency. When you don't pray, you're saying, I don't need you, God. I got this. So when we pray, we're saying, God, I need you. Whatever it be, I need you to help out here. So I think we should pray in precatory prayers, number one, because prayer is effective. Number two, because our society is filled with evil people. Our country is filled with corruption. Political corruption. I mean, it's it's absolutely beyond imagination how corrupt some of the leaders are. And if you're not aware of this, you need to get educated. Okay? These are some very, very sick people. A lot of people in high political office are involved in child sacrifice. They're offering children to Moloch in sacrifice. Rituals that are going on. Right now, you say, today, today this stuff is happening. Okay? Not only are our politicians corrupt, I mean, some people have been in office 40, 50 years. They're millionaires now. How do you think that happened? Our media is corrupt. Listen, people, if their lips are moving, they're lying. Okay? It is incredible. They, They just make stuff up. And then, you know, the sad thing, so many people just buy into it. Say, oh, yeah, that's. I guess that's right. They said it. Pharmaceutical corruption. I mean, they could heal a lot of things that they don't want to heal because... They don't make any money off people that are healed. All right, They make money off sick people. And some of the price of these drugs, you know, resveratol that, I mean, is that, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm saying that right. That's the drug that Fauci's pushing. $1,000 a day. Hydroxychloroquine's like 80-some cents a day. Well, I wonder why he's pushing one over the other. Corruption, people. We got rioters destroying people's businesses, beating people up, killing people, and the governors and mayors have told the police to stand down. What's that about? And then the McCloskeys go out and try to defend their own home because a mob broke in there pointing guns at them. They come out with their guns, which they hadn't a clue how to use. See her holding her gun? She's like... And by the way, her gun did not work because they came and took their guns away to prosecute them. They had to check the weapons and make sure they worked. Hers didn't, so they fixed it so they could charge her. And they did. And they arrested them. And now they're in a battle. For protecting their property. They called the police. Police wouldn't come. So they had to do something themselves, okay? Listen, governors are pronouncing more and more executive orders. I mean, mandating that we wear masks. And that's, you know, they've been scientifically proven not to work, but that's, that's a small thing, okay? That's just a minute thing compared to what other things they're doing. They're shutting churches down. You can't worship. They're telling us what we can eat, where we can go. On July 28th, a video came out of a group of doctors calling themselves America's Frontline Doctors. Anybody seen this video? 
really? Two people, that's all that have seen the video? Well, they took it down really quickly, okay? They held a press conference in front of the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., and they were pushing the fact that hydroxychloroquine is safe and effective for the treatment of COVID-19. The video was immediately taken down and blocked by YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. This is censorship, plain and simple, people. Censorship. Why, did, why does Facebook care about this? Oh, it didn't go with their standards, okay? Why so much anger over a drug that has been used for 65 years? Safely, no side effects. 65 years. You know why? Because it works, and if everyone used it, the pandemic would end. There'd be no, I mean, we wouldn't have to talk about mail-in voting. We wouldn't have to talk about any of this stuff, because it just all be, we have a cure. We have a cure. People, I watched this video right when it came out. I happened to catch it. And the, the black doctor there at the microphone named Stella Emanuel, she's a doctor in Texas, I cried as I listened to her. Her passion is so strong. She has treated 350 patients with COVID-19. Some of them in their 90s, many of them with dis- different kinds of health problems. She said every one of them lived. Every one of them, 350. And she challenged Fauci. She said, Dr. Fauci, when is the last time you put a stethoscope on a patient? And see, they're, they're challenging the narrative. They're all, all these doctors, are, they got nothing to gain, people. They're not selling anything. They're just frontline doctors who are working with these people. And they want, to, they want to tell people, you don't have to die from COVID. There is a cure. But listen, our governors and pharmacies, they're killing people with COVID by falsely saying HCQ is dangerous. And there's going to be lawsuits, people. Already, the governor of Iowa has, has filed, he's trying to get you know, immunity from prosecution because he blocked HCK's hydroxychloroquine's use. And now he knows. I, I'm going to get in trouble, so I want to block, you know, I don't want people suing me for this. There's just so much evil people out there. On July 28th, CNN Business put out this article. Same day the doctors came out, CNN had to respond, of course. They say, a video featuring a group of doctors making false and dubious claims. They said... We treated people with this, and here's what happened. They got healed. How any is that false and dubious? They weren't making this stuff up. Related to the coronavirus was removed by Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube after going viral on Monday. Yeah, it blew up when they hit it. The article goes on to say, during the press conference, a speaker who identifies herself as a doctor, in other words, is she really a doctor? She identifies as one, makes a number of dubious claims including you don't need masks to prevent the spread of coronavirus. And the recent studies showing hydroxychloroquine is ineffective for the treatment of COVID-19 are fake science. This is what Dr. Emanuel said. It's fake science sponsored by fake pharma companies. Now, you got to ask yourself, okay, who stands to profit from this? These doctors, what do, what do they get for this? They're not... They're not, they don't stock in hydroxychloroquine. Like I said, this drug's been out for 65 years. These doctors, many of them have been fired already. They're threatening to take their medical licenses away. What did they do? They just got up and told what's happening in their clinics, in their hospitals. Here's what we did. Here's what happened. They're just telling the facts. 
See, science is gone, people. Political opinions all that matter. They don't care about science anymore. These doctors are simply trying to help people. The state of Ohio Pharmacy Board banned the use of HCQ for COVID patients. If you have lupus, this is one of the drugs lupus patients take. They banned it for COVID patients. A drug that has been proven to save lives, they banned. People, listen to me. This is murder. This is murder. There's a drug here that will cure somebody. This person's dying and you say, no, they can't have it. Is that murder or not? What is it? A couple days later, the pharmacy board, from pressure with the governor, withdrew their ruling. You know that Virginia restricts the use of HCQ? You know why? Because they're evil and they're killing people for political gain. They are murderers. Five governors sell elderly people with COVID back to nursing homes where they infected others and many died. That's the people who have to really worry about COVID-19. No one else needs to really be that concerned, unless you're in a nursing home. But they sent them back to the most vulnerable population. Why? It pads their numbers. They get more money. These governors are guilty of murder, and I believe they're going to be prosecuted someday. These governors are Andrew Cuomo of New York. Okay? Cuomo just said they're going back to school. I don't know what's happening to him. Something's going on there. That he's, you know, he's sending the kids back to school. Everybody's fighting that. He's going to do it. Phil Murray of New Jersey. Gretchen Whitmer, she's a piece of work, of Michigan. These are all Democrats, by the way. Gavin Newsom, California. It's your boy, Dave. <laughs> Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania. Wolf's health minister, who's a transgender. So I don't know what to call Shim. But anyway, she sent, her mother was in a nursing home. She pulled her mother out of a nursing home and then sent the COVID patients into the nursing home. This is how sick these people are. This is how sick they are. Listen, those in the nursing homes are the highest risk of death from COVID. And these murderous governors sent people who test positives into those homes. We should be praying for these governors. We should be praying this. May their days be few. May another take their office. May their children be fatherless and their wives a widow. They're murderers. Do we not care about murder? They're murderers and God hates murderers. Proverbs 6.16 There are six things that Yahweh hates. Seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. None of this wicked, murderous behavior should really surprise any of us though. Because we've sanctioned murder in this country since 1973. We've sanctioned it. Roe v. Wade, the insidious U.S. Supreme Court decision that legalized murder of unborn happened on January 22, 1973. According to the WHO, World Health Organization, every year in the world there are an estimated 40 to 50 million abortions. This corresponds to approximately 125,000 abortions per day worldwide. In the U.S., where nearly half of pregnancies are unintended, 
and four in ten of these are terminated by abortion, there are over 3,000 abortions per day in America. 22% of all pregnancies in the U.S., excluding miscarriages and in abortion. People, abortion is murder. People kill for all kinds of reasons. They kill out of the heat of passion, out of revenge, out of anger, out of money, out of pride. But abortion is simply murder for money and convenience. The doctor makes money. The person who's having the abortion is doing it for inconvenience. So because they're being inconvenienced by this life, they pay a murderer. They hire a hitman to kill their child. What we must understand is that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And when we want to know God's view on an issue, we simply go to the Bible. So let me give you several biblical principles which I believe make abortion murder. The strongest scriptural and theological argument against abortion is that God Himself is said to create the child in the womb. So then those who have an abortion are not merely destroying tissue or protoplasm, but are actually destroying a work of God Himself. We suppose that the power of reproduction lies solely with the ovum and the sperm and is entirely controlled by the genetic code. But biblically, it's clear that God Himself is involved in this process. God creates personally and individually every human life. He not only starts a procreation process, but He's active in that process, bringing into existence all those people whom He had foreordained to life. In Genesis 20, 17 and 18, it says that Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And He also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For Yahweh had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So God is sovereign over conception. People, over and over and over in the Bible, it says God opened the womb or God closed the womb. God is sovereign. Now the Hebrew Scriptures use the same Hebrew word to describe the preborn, infants, and children. In the New Testament, the same Greek word also described preborn infants and children, which indicates a continuity from conception to childhood on to adulthood. The Greek word brephos is used of newborn infants and older children in several texts. In Luke, uh, 1 Peter 2.2, 2, Acts 7.19. In Luke 1.44, brephos is used of John the Baptist while he's still in the womb. A preborn infant. Scriptures teach we must defend and protect the weak, the defenseless, the innocent, the needy. I wouldn't think that if life begins at conception, that the preborn fall into the category of weak and defenseless. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Believers, we need to open our mouth for those in the womb who can't speak. They're defenseless. They're needy. Psalm 82, 3 and 4. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Yahweh tells the gods of the nations that they are to give justice to the weak and fatherless. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver from the hand of the wicked. And because they did not do this, they were judged. Scripture proves that God values the unborn in the womb as much as He does an adult. The principle is illustrated in Exodus 21, 
22 through 25. Now, again, I've cut some out here so it would fit on the screen. So go back and look at it. I'm not trying to trick anybody and cut out anything pertinent to the Scripture, but I just wanted to fit it all in one section, all right? When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine. Then it talks about her husband, and he can determine what the fine is and all this. It says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. All right, the Hebrew word here for pregnant is the Hebrew word hare. It's used 21 times in the Tanakh of children in the womb. The word children here is from yalad. It's used 88 times in the Tanakh of children. In verse 23, God has ordained that the killing of a child prior to its birth is to be paid for by giving your own life. This law is perhaps the most decisive evidence in Scripture that the unborn in the womb is to be regarded as a living person. People, abortion is murder. Sanctioned murder in this country. And Scripture, I hope this is not a surprise, condemns murder, okay? You shall not murder. Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That's, that's capital punishment. When Cain murders Abel in the book of Genesis, Scripture says his blood cries out from the ground. Murder, people, is a horrific act, which the Bible commands us not to do. God values life and He wants us to do the exact same. Yeshua confirms this by His teaching not to murder, and He goes on to describe how our hearts shouldn't even hate people or have anger towards them. Because man is made in the image of God, life is by definition sacred and should not be destroyed. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, there are six things Yahweh hates. Seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed Innocent blood. Let me ask you something. What blood is more innocent than an unborn child? Here's the verse that the doctors who perform abortions should take a close look at. Cursed is anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Cursed. That's God pronouncing a curse on these people who take a bribe. They're taking money to commit murder. I hope you can see that the Bible clearly condemns abortion. It is murder. And murder is always wrong. So many of our politicians today are baby killers. They're murderers. Governor Northam. He wants abortion on demand to be enshrined in the Virginia Constitution. He wants the state General Assembly to approve a constitutional amendment that would guarantee a right to abortion. Northam is a pediatrician, or was. And he is defending born-alive abortions. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. He wants to kill them even after they're born. This is evil, people, personified. Lawmakers in New York celebrated, and if you saw the signing of the thing, they were all joyous and big smiles on their face. They're all excited about allowing abortion up until delivery. They're murderers. One of the most ignored attributes of God, people, is His justice. The rock, His work is perfect, all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without it 
iniquity. Just and upright is he. People, God is just. And justice could be just one of his most unfavorable attributes towards people. If you took a survey, I'm quite confident that it wouldn't be high on the list. God's justice. People don't really like getting justice. We kind of have a, a justophobia. But it's wildly and consistently taught in Scripture that God is just. Job said, The Almighty, we cannot find Him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You know, it may help, I think, if we had a working definition of justice. Here's a simple one. Justice is giving to everyone what is due. Justice may not treat everyone with absolute sameness, but it's treating each person with a standard of what is owed. Watson said, Injustice lies in two things. Either not to punish where there is fault, or to punish where there is no fault. Thus, Proverbs 24.12 teaches, If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? God will render to each one according to his deeds. That seems to be God's standard of justice. Now, when we trust Christ, we don't get justice. We get mercy because Christ took our justice. He took what we deserve, therefore he offers us mercy. But our God is just But our society today, people, is unjust, it is evil, it is filled with those who murder for money. And I'm afraid we're just so used to these injustices, it doesn't even bother us. We don't seem to care. Oh, they're killing COVID patients. They could just give them hydroxychloroquine, but no, they want to have a political battle over it, so people are dying. Sending people into nursing homes, killing people. It doesn't seem to bother us. But it should. People, we should be angry when we see the evils in our society. They should make us sick. I don't know about you, but I'm angry. And when I watch those doctors, again, I was crying, but I was so angry. I'm like, they're murderers. These doctors are making it so clear. HCQ works, especially given early on. Ephesians 4.26, be angry. We need some anger, people. We need to stop letting this stuff go on and just acting like it's no big deal. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The Bible says we are to abhor what is evil. You know, anyone who truly loves will hate evil and cling to what is good. Now, the use of the imperative in the present tense denotes be continuously Be constantly hating what is evil. If you love, you must hate anything that will hurt that love. The prophets command this, hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Now let me say here, and we've got to understand this, people. Evil and good are not subjective concepts. That is, we don't have the liberty to abhor what we think is evil and cling to what we think is good. Otherwise, no standard would exist for good and evil. 
What is good to me subjectively might be evil to you subjectively. Unfortunately, this is where too much of Christian abhorrence and clinging lands. It focuses on our sentiments instead of what is clearly revealed in the Word of God. Though through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. We learn the standard for identifying those things to abhor and what to love from the Scriptures, not from opinion polls. Today's society, like those in the days of Micah, have this backwards. You who hate the good and love the evil. The love of evil and the hatred of good is a characteristic, I think, of our sick society. The murder of an unborn child is seen as a woman's right to choose. Yahweh hates murder. And so should His children. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to Yahweh. You know, those who support abortion do both. They justify the act of murder, they say it's okay, and they condemn the righteous in the womb to death. If you want to know what is evil and what is good, we have an objective standard. It's called the Bible. And the more we dig into the Word of God, paying attention to context, seeing the commands in their appropriate setting, the observing how they how these things are modeled by Yeshua, the clear we're going to see what is good and what is evil. So what can we do about the injustice and the evil in our society? What can we do about it? Do we even care? Do we even want to do anything about it? You know, so many dispensations are just praying, come, beam me up, Lord, get me out of here. We're praying for the rapture. Get me off this earth. You know, that'll be good. I'll be away. For us predators, know we're here for good, so we got to do something, okay? What can we do? We can pray. And I think that includes precatory, imprecatory prayers. Pray that God's judgment would fall on these evil people. Now, if that sounds harsh to you, what do you suggest we do? What's your, how do we deal with evil? And let me ask you this, if your house was broken into and you're not smart enough to have a firearm, okay? And so people are killing your family. What do you do? Would you ask, God, will you kill them? God, will you stop them? Would you do that? Would you pray that way? Well, listen, that's what's happening. In our country, people are being murdered. And we have to do what we can do to stop them. And I think prayer is effective. And I think a good prayer is to pray that God would do something. We need to get angry. And listen, We will get angry if our eyes are open. We have to open our eyes to what's happening in this world. Too many people, Christians, just walking around like, no, I don't see anything. No, everything's all right. Our government's good. Everything's fine. I mean evil at the highest level. If you don't know what Pizzagate is, you need to get educated. You just need to get educated so you'll understand the corruption and maybe you'll get woke and maybe you'll get sick. We are murdering 3,000 babies a day. In this country. In this country that we call a Christian country. 3,000 babies a day. That's not all that's happening though. One of the big problems we have, not just here, but worldwide, child trafficking. Pedophilia. You know there's TED Talks now where people are talking how pedophilia is a wonderful thing and how it should be accepted and, and embraced by society. You know right now that the elite are torturing and murdering children. They're doing child sacrifice right now, right today. 
They're sick. That's happening in this country. And like I said, I'll tell you, people are waking up to this because I'm seeing more and more people realize the child trafficking that's going on. I read something that in Virginia, northern Virginia particularly, on Halloween, four times as many children as normal go missing. So it's all around D.C. That, that is a cesspool, people. The news media, big pharma, and our politicians are fighting against and restricting the use of hydroxychloroquine for political reasons, and because of this, people are dying. How would you feel if your relative died? Oh, we can't use that drug. It's not, not, not tested enough. It's not safe enough. It causes problems. I'm dying. I don't care. Give me the drug. I'll take my chances. Oh, no. We don't want to do that. That's right. It's just sick. So we got these sick people who are killing people, aborting people. We got them child trafficking. We got them using child sacrifice. We got them killing people through drugs. If all this doesn't cause you to cry out for God's justice, something is wrong. Something's broken you. This is not right. And it's time the church woke up and rise up and fight this evil in our society. And I'm not talking about taking up arms yet. We have a much more powerful weapon, people. We need to pray that God's judgment would fall on them. The power of prayer is an incredible power that the church wields. Unbelievers can't pray. They have no one to pray to. We can pray. And we can pray for God's justice if nothing else. I'm praying that a seat would open up on the Supreme Court. I got two justices in mind. I'm praying that God would kill somehow or another or just have them resign or something. You say, that's so bad. Okay, if you're fine with 3,000 babies a day dying so these justices can go on, then you live with that. But I'd rather have them wiped out and get some people on this so we can turn this thing around and stop this legal murder. It's sickening, people. I'm praying for many of our politicians, many of our news media, and those in Hollywood that their days may be few and their office given to another. May their children be fatherless and their wife be a widow. They're murderers, people. And they're getting paid to be murderers. They're making big money doing what they're doing. They're letting convicted criminals out on the street. They're doing everything they can to destroy society. Everything they can. My wife was reading to me yesterday, this guy was in jail for rape. They let him out, and first thing he did is went back and killed the lady who accused him. I'm sure you've seen the videos. People just walking down the street. Yeah, they let him out because of COVID. Yeah. Don't, why just give him a mask? That works, right? Just give him a mask. Psalm 58, 6-8, another prayer, I'm praying. God, break their teeth in their mouths. Tear out their fangs of the young lions. Oh, Yahweh, let them vanish like water that runs away. When, the, when He aims His arrows, let them be blunted. Here's my prayer. Let them be like a snail that dissolves into slime. They are slime. Let them dissolve into slime. Like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. And people... I know this isn't a feel-good kind of message. I don't feel real good. I'm sick of what I see happening in our society. And I'm sick of the church sitting by. They don't even talk about it. And if you think imprecatory prayers are wrong, what do you think about all the murder that's happening? I'm praying God would stop it. Stop it. Bring justice back to this nation. 
And I'm asking you to join with me in praying for justice and righteousness to return to our nation. Pray that Yahweh would kill these murderers preying upon the unborn and the children. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. If that's too strong for you, just pray for justice. Pray that God would deal with these sick people. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just so sick of what's happening. It just goes on and on. The murder of babies. Slaughter of children. The abuse of children. Murder for money everywhere we look, Lord. It's a sick society. Oh God, I pray for your justice. Rain down on America, Lord. Deal with these people, Lord. These people in authority who are so wicked, so evil, that they kill for money, they kill for political status. Lord, stop them in their tracks. Lord, break them. Do whatever you need to do. Work through this country, Lord, we pray. We call out to you, Lord, for help. We're tired of seeing the injustice. Please, Lord, deal with them. Whatever way you have to. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Amen. Okay, questions, comments? Do what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to take it right now. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's my instinct. I'd like to take up arms, but I don't think that's... The call, I would rather pray and let God deal with this, you know? I mean, that's really how David dealt with his enemies, too, you know? He just prayed and let the Lord deal with them. Um, God can do much more, but I think His people need to cry out. You know? They need to cry out. Uh, Let me see what we got here. Bob says, amen to every point this morning. Thanks, Bob. Like I said, there's going to be people who like this. There's going to be people who don't like this. Um, uh, someone said, well, New Mexico is the capital for late-term abortion. Uh, also ask a question. Says, Good morning. This is off the subject, but what's your opinion on megachurches getting uh, from the government the coronavirus relief monies? I don't have an opinion on that, I guess. I didn't know they were doing that. I mean, we're not getting any relief money, but you got to understand. Yeah, we're not a megachurch. That's, that's, I, I'm, I missed that part. We are not a megachurch. Um, the problem is, when these churches don't meet, they don't get any money. And most of these churches are so in debt with building payments and everything else, all the staff, that it, this is so I, I can understand that they're probably trying to get everything from the government they can, you know? And, and most of the churches are not even open yet. And I talked to a man Friday at the gym, and he says, my church is not even open yet. Still. He said, we can go to the parking lot and have parking lot worship. You have to stay in your car and you listen to them like a drive-in theater. I'm like, what is the point of that? The point of the church is community. We come together. We hug. We encourage. We love one another. Sitting in their cars in the parking lot doesn't do a lot of good. Stay at home. Listen to the message at home. It's much more comfortable than sitting in your car. 
It's just... I'm trying not to miss anybody here. Uh, Gary Cole says, let's encourage the Berean Bible Church community to fast and pray together on a specific day once or twice a month. There's nothing wrong with that, Gary, but you can head that up if you want to do that. But I think we should just be praying constantly that God would do something. I'm not afraid to pray for God kill some of these people. I'm just not, okay? I think they're evil to the core. And if they can kill babies and if they can kill people's grandmothers and mothers... You know, someone hung a banner in New York from one of the bridge says, you know, Como killed my mother. He did. And there's, you know, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that justice is coming. You know, the wheels of justice definitely grind slow, but hopefully they grind sure. Tanya says, thank you, that was an awesome sermon. Thank you, Tanya. Um, I'm just sick, people. Like I said, of seeing the corruption. And the church, you know, I mean, it just little by little, they're just taking away everything. Wear a mask. Why? Not, it doesn't work. I'm just telling you to do it. I want to see how many people will obey me. See who will line up. And, you know, telling you, if you go to a bar, you can't just drink alcohol. You have to eat food. And you have to eat certain food. Because if you just drink alcohol, the coronavirus will get you. But if you're eating and drinking, the coronavirus stays away. And it doesn't bother you if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot. It doesn't bother you if you go to Sam's Club. If you go to church, it bothers you, so you've got to stay away from church. It doesn't bother you if you riot. But if you go to a Trump rally, it will definitely get you, you know, or in church. This is a really smart virus. You know, I mean, it just keeps moving around, and it's just so smart. And we can't go vote because... You get sick if you vote. But you can stand in line at, like I said, Lowe's or Home Depot and Sam's Club. You can go all those places. You're fine. But voting, people, this mail-in voting is nothing but an attempt to steal the election. That's all it is, pure and simple. That's what all this thing is about. Everything. It's about that. Okay? Everything. And that's what makes me really sick. That For political gain, it would kill time to pray people that is our weapon that is a powerful weapon and we need to band together we need to join together and pray that god will bring justice to the land wipe out some of these killers they're murderers how do we become effective the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much james says god hears his people Okay, he hears his people, and we just need to be crying out to him. Well, I haven't gotten anyone blasting me yet, so maybe no one's too mad. But and again, let me just say, I understand some of you are like, "Oh, I just—they're—they're they're nice people." No, they're evil murderers. Okay, but if you can live with that, and you don't mind the babies being killed like crazy. We got to do something, okay? We really have to do something to stop this. It's gone on way too long. Way too long. 